Here in Luke chapter 24, I just want to take a story here about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and show you some things here that, boy, when I saw this, this revolutionized my life. You know, I was living over here in uh, Garland at the time, and this is right after the Lord called me to preach. And um, this is the very first time I ever got up and ministered with any confidence. I'd been trying to minister for two years, but I was so self-centered and so scared and so introverted that I just couldn't get boldness enough to minister. And the Lord showed me some things through Luke chapter 24. It revolutionized my life, transformed me overnight, amen, out of this story. I pray you can get the same thing out of it. But here in Luke chapter 24, in verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things that are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto him, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, and they drew nigh under the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for, the, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them and saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Awesome. Boy, this is a powerful story. But I want you to see some things. This fits perfectly with what we were talking about that our joy isn't in external circumstances. Our joy is in the Lord. And some people said, well, if the Lord was really with me and if I had his power and if God's anointing and if his blessing was really in my life, I'd know it. There's some people that just have this concept that we should intuitively somehow just without effort, you know, feel things. If God is really in your life, if you've got anointing in you to do miracles or something, your hands ought to burn and there ought to be some physical, visible manifestation or things like that. It's amazing how so-called faith people have virtually no faith and want something physical to always be proving and manifesting the presence of God. And we just think that that's the way it is. I want you to see that here are two of Jesus' disciples. It doesn't name them. This word Cleopas here, I've heard some people 
interpret this. As a matter of fact, over towards the end, it says that Jesus has appeared unto Simon. Some people think that one of these disciples here is Peter. I don't know for sure if it was, but anyway, they were disciples of the Lord. They were people that had followed him. And these people had seen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had walked with him for three and a half years through his ministry, and they were upset. Jesus, when he drew nine to him back in the 16th verse, he says, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? These disciples were sad. And what were they sad about? Were they sad because they hadn't, uh, you know, gotten enough money that day or because of any physical, natural thing? They were sad over spiritual things. You know, it's relatively easy to get over carnal stuff. It's relatively easy to recognize that a car, a house, is never going to fulfill you and make you satisfied. It's relatively easy to take your attention off of those things. But where a lot of Christians are bogged down is in spiritual matters. There's a lot of people that are bummed out and discouraged because they don't have the power and the joy and the presence of the Lord, and they're wanting more and more and more and more and more of God. Now, you've got to understand there's a partial truth here that we need to have a hunger for the things of God. There is such a thing as a holy dissatisfaction, a holy type of hunger. But you need to understand that God has already put everything within you, and what we're hungering for is a release of what we already have, not going to get something that we don't have. Now, some of you may think, well, what's the difference? Huge, huge difference. Huge difference. A person who is saying, oh, God, I'm asking you to give me faith. Oh, God, I'm crying out, just give me faith. Oh, God, I'm crying out for faith. That person's in unbelief. Some of you thinking, what's wrong with that prayer? The Bible says you already have the measure of faith. There aren't different measures of faith. God didn't give one person more faith than another. If you're born again, God put the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of you, and you've got all of the faith you could have or ever will have. It's not a matter of getting more faith. What you need to do is learn how to use the faith that you've already got. If a person is praying, I've had some people come up, and I don't jump on people. You know, I've had some people this week ask me this question, and so if you're here, don't, don't get upset with me. I didn't say anything to you. I understand. I translate, all right, what people say. But technically speaking, I've had people come up and say, I just need more of Jesus. You don't need more of Jesus. You can't get more of Jesus. Jesus doesn't come in. He doesn't just stick his little toe into your life. God doesn't give you just enough dab of salvation to hold you through this life, and then you're going to get the full dose when you go to be with the Lord. If Jesus is in you, then the fullness of the Godhead is in you bodily, is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, and you're complete in him. You don't need more of Jesus, but Jesus needs more of you. Amen? You can get more of Jesus manifest. You can walk in more of the joy and the peace and the power of God. See, it's good to hunger and say, God, I want you to flow through me unhindered. I don't want me to be a problem. I want you to dominate and control me. And you need to get a hunger that will never be satisfied until a married supper of the Lamb on that one. But on the other hand, you need to have that hunger and say, Father, it's not that I'm doubting what you've done. I know that you're in here, and you praise God constantly for what you've already received. You just long to see it released. Somebody says, but the, no difference. Bottom line is you're still hungry. Now, there is a big difference. There's a big difference. You know, I ate today, but I'm beginning to get hungry again. But there's a dif difference between somebody who ate today and knows that they, you know, they're okay. Matter of fact, you can tell by looking at me that I've eaten more than I need to eat today, all right? 
Anyway, see, there's a difference between eating today and just having to eat again and wanting to live by that and a person that hasn't eaten in months and they're beginning to die and they're, they're wasting away. And that's where I see a lot of Christians. They haven't partaken of the presence and the joy of the Lord. We need to continually do it. It needs to be a constant flow through our life. But I'm not hungry today because I haven't been eating. I've been eating. Amen. It's just time for another dose. There's a difference between that and somebody that hadn't eaten in weeks or months. There's a difference between that and Christians that just go from year to year and get a little dose every once in a while. That's not the way God wants you to live. The truth is you've already got the power of God on the inside of you. See, there's a perfect parallel here with these disciples. These disciples were walking along and talking, and they were sad. And what were they talking about? They were talking about the resurrection. They were talking about all the right things. But you know how they were talking about it? They were talking about it in terms of doubt and unbelief. Could this be so? They were even, they explained it, and they said, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem that you haven't heard what happened there during the last three days about Jesus of Nazareth, how he was crucified? We trusted he was the Messiah, and some of our group have even said he rose from the dead, and they said they saw a vision of angels that said he's alive. They were saying all the right things. They were talking about the resurrection, and we're still sad. You know what? You can talk about the Lord. You can even talk about some good things, and yet you can talk about it with a spin of unbelief on it and still be sad. You can talk about the anointing of God. Some people will see the anointing of God, and man, it'll just bless them, and they'll get into the river and flow, and other people will look at that and immediately get into sadness. Oh, why don't I have that? And they just, I mean, the, the blessing on somebody else will make somebody else respond negatively. Some of you have such a negative mindset, such a negative slant on things that you'd gripe and complain if somebody slit your throat with a brand new knife. You wouldn't see the, the blessing in that, amen? <laughs> These people were walking with Jesus. If they would have known who they were with, did you know that all of their sorrow, their sadness would have been gone? But they didn't even know who they were with. And these were people that knew Jesus. They knew him, but they didn't know him. They knew him, but they didn't know him. They were walking with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and didn't recognize him. How does this happen? Look over in Mark, the 16th chapter of the passage of Scripture. It's the same passage. It's just in a different gospel writer's account. And in Mark, chapter 16, it just sums this whole account up in one verse. Mark chapter 16, verse 14 says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Excuse me, that's not the one I was looking for. Verse 12, two verses. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the residue, neither believed they them. So verses 12 and 13 describe this whole account in Luke 24 where he was on the road to Emmaus. And notice here it says that Jesus appeared unto them in another form. What does that mean? What form did he have? As you read on in Luke chapter 20, it, I mean in uh, John chapter 20, when he appeared and came back eight days later, this was on resurrection day over in Luke chapter 24, eight days later he appeared unto Thomas, and Thomas had said, unless I can see the print of the nails, unless I can put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Jesus appeared eight days after this and said, Thomas, put your finger into the print of the nails and put your hand into my side and be not faithless but believing. So this is eight days after and we know that he had that glorified body that still bore the imprint of the nails and the spear piercing his side. Jesus wasn't in another form. He didn't appear like another 
animal or something else like that. He was a person, and his body still had the print of the nails in it. You know what the difference was? He had a glorified body. His glorified body looked the same as his physical body, but it was spiritual and not physical. Now, this will take a little bit of thought on somebody's part. I'm sorry to do this to you. I know most people don't like to think. You just want somebody to digest it and spoon-feed the thing to you, but you're going to have to think on this. Did you know that there is a difference between spirit and flesh? Jesus said, that which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh. And some of you may have a hard time understanding this, but you cannot perceive spiritual truth, spiritual reality with your carnal mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual body, the glorified body of Jesus had to be spiritually discerned. Even though it looked exactly the same, I don't know how to describe this, but you could, you could see the physical body of Jesus and then the spiritual glorified body of Jesus. They still looked the same. I'm sure he was the same height, the same size, same print of the nails, but one was spiritual, one was physical. And you cannot discern spiritual things through carnal means. And it says over here in Luke chapter 24, it says that they were walking and reasoning. The problem was they were trying to figure this out with their head. They were trying to discern it. They were trying to figure out, is it possible that Jesus could be raised from the dead? They were operating out of their mental facilities, and because of it, they couldn't perceive the risen Lord Jesus Christ that they had known. They had eaten with him. They had slept with him. They had been with him for three and a half years, and they didn't recognize him because he was in a spiritual form. Man, that shows you the dramatic difference between the physical and the spiritual realm. And brothers and sisters, the answer to so many of our problems are that we are so carnal. And we're trying to perceive things through a carnal system and trying to perceive the Lord with us. And the truth is that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is more with us than he was with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That was just a temporary thing. He promised us he would never leave us nor forsake us. Never leave us nor forsake us. Never leave us nor forsake us. And I know everybody says, oh, I know that, but, and I couldn't tell you how many times I've had people come up and have me pray for them that, man, God, they, God's just forsaken them. God's given up on them. God's left them. It's not true. I guarantee you God is still with you. God is with you in all of his glory and power. God doesn't come and go. Your realization of God comes and goes. But the truth is that the glory of God, if you have ever felt the presence of God, if you have ever felt the joy of God, if you have ever had the anointing of God on you, you have it in you a thousand times, a million times stronger than what you've ever experienced. God doesn't come and go. It's your perception of him that comes and goes. Jesus was walking with these disciples, and they didn't even recognize him. How did they come to recognize him? You know what he did? He started with the scriptures. You would think, well, if it was Jesus, all they had to do is take a good look at him. You can't perceive Jesus in the physical realm. If Jesus in his physical body was here with us tonight, walking around in this room, we would miss him if you're in the flesh. Did you know if you, are, if you were thinking the same way that you've been thinking this last week, if you're depressed, if you're defeated, if you're discouraged, if you're having problems, 
You think in that negative mindset, and I guarantee you the risen Lord Jesus Christ could be in this auditorium, walk right up to you, sit down next to you, and you'd miss him. Some of you think, oh, no, it never happened. Luke 24 is exactly what happened. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, was standing right in these midst of these guys for an hour or more, and they didn't recognize him. How was it that they came to recognize him? He started sharing the word with them. He opened up the word, and he says, don't you know? And it says, beginning at the prophets, he expounded in all of the scriptures the promises concerning himself. He took the Word of God, and they had to discern Him through the Word of God. You know, this is the same way that you discern that God is with you. The truth is you have to go by what God's Word says. God's Word says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you feel like God comes and goes, and like, man, I hadn't felt the presence of God in months. God isn't around. The truth is it's your perception that's all messed up, not God. God did not break His Word to leave you. We pray some stupid stuff. Man, I, I go into churches all the time. You guys don't pray this way here, but I've been in churches before where they, they pray and they say, Oh, God, we ask you to come and be with us tonight. Just be here and meet with us tonight. That's an unbelief prayer. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why would you ask God to come and be with you if he's never going to leave you nor forsake you? Some of you think, Oh, brother, I never thought about it. I don't mean anything bad by that. I believe God understands. Well, it doesn't matter. It's just a technicality. No, it does matter. You know why you pray and ask God to come be with you? Because you don't believe he's there until somebody jumps a pew or until something happens or until somebody sings or something happens. You just, until you see something, you don't believe God is here. But the truth is God is here. We've said things before like, man, God wasn't within 100 miles of that place. Truth is, God can't help but be there because his people are there. Where two or three are gathered together, he's there in the midst. There's a special anointing when two or three get together, and, and if there's just one person here, if nobody else brought God, I brought him. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Man, I go into foreign countries a lot, and I've taken people with It's amazing, and, you, and I don't mean this bad. If somebody here is going to get offended at this, it's your problem. I don't mean this bad, amen. I'm not trying to criticize everybody. But you know what? The intercessors are the people that are the biggest pain when you go overseas. Because the intercessors are always looking for a demon on every doorknob and looking for problems, and they're looking to feel something. And you cross the lines. And man, I've, I've gone in. I remember this one woman who was an intercessor, and she, oh, can you feel the oppression? Can you feel the oppression in Romania? And she just was about to go under. And she was looking at me, and I was laughing. And she says, can't you feel the oppression? And I said, no. She looked at me like, what kind of a deadhead are you? And I said, I'm feeling the presence of God. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Somebody said, oh, well, I know God never leaves me. The truth is, you can feel what you want to feel. If you're looking for a devil, if you're looking for problems, if you're always looking for some spirit to be dealing with, they're around. But you know what? God's here, too. Why would you look for the devil when God's here? Why would you be looking and trying to single out spirits when God is here? Man, the best defense is a good offense. Just recognize how good and how great God is. Tell people about the goodness of God and focus on God. You know what? The devils will flee. Jesus begins to manifest and demons will flee and run out of this place. But it's amazing how people want to focus on the negative, and they're all, I mean, if you look, most people that operate in the gifts, they, they're always looking for something bad in a person. They're looking for something bad. Why don't you look for something good? Why don't you find something positive in a person? 
We gravitate towards the negative. But you know, the truth is that God will never leave us nor forsake us. If you really believe that, if you really believe that God Almighty dwells on the inside of you the way the Scripture says, why in the world would you be afraid of people? Why in the world would you be afraid of failure? Why in the world would you be afraid of anything? Why would we have the discouragement and the depression? The truth is that we don't recognize the presence and the power of God. Going back to Adam and Eve, did you know Satan came to them and says, if you'll eat this tree, you'll be like God. The truth is they were already like God. They were more like God before they ate of the fruit than they were after they ate of the fruit. He tempted them with something that they already had. Satan's coming to you and saying, man, don't you want to be more like God? If he can't keep you from getting turned on to the Lord, then he'll try and condemn you after you get turned on to the Lord. Do you ever play tug-of-war with somebody where you try and, you know, you stand across a creek or something like that, and you pull and you try and pull them into the creek? But if you're going to lose, you know what you'll do? You'll let go. If you aren't going to win, at least you're going to let go, so they'll fall on their rear. You'll get some satisfaction out of it. Well, that's what the devil does. The devil will pull you and say, don't serve God. There is no such thing as a God. Don't get a fanatic. That stuff's not real. It doesn't work. God doesn't heal. God doesn't set anybody free. He'll try and pull you, but when he determines that you're going to go that way anyway, then he'll push you in the other direction, and he says, sure, God heals, but God won't heal you, you sorry thing. It won't work for you. If you were really full of God, you'd have more healing, and he'll tell you. He'll condemn you over things that he used to tell you didn't even exist. He'll push you the other direction. And the devil has taken some of you and saying, oh, sure, yeah, you believe in the full gospel, but the problem is you're empty. You just don't have anything, and he'll go to condemning you when the truth is that you have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily. God is with you, and you know what's happening? You're just like these disciples. We're walking along, and we're reasoning in our mind and saying, oh, God, where are you? And you can't perceive him with your physical senses. People love for God to do things in a way that it doesn't take faith to perceive him. But you know what? God is a God of faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. The Lord could manifest himself to you in such a supernatural way. You know, God will use gifts of the Spirit. We've seen awesome things happen this week. I tell you, this has been a life-changing week for me and for a lot of people. I have loved it. It has been awesome. We've had some of the most accurate words of knowledge. We've had some of the most miraculous things happening. It's just a week ago, or it's less than a week ago, I saw a person without an eardrum instantly have an eardrum created and put in. And man, we've seen some awesome things happen. God does things like that because he wants to bless us. But you know what? The real nature of God is faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. He will do things enough to show you that he's real. There is plenty of proof that God is real and that he's active and that he's alive. But you know, when it comes right down to it, if you're going to reason and if you're going to try and figure God out in your brain, he will not do that. That is not the nature and the character of God. The only way to get to please the Lord is to by faith perceive what he says. If God wanted to, I guarantee you, he could have every dog that walked by you bark out, Jesus is Lord, or tell you where to go. He could write his name on every cloud that passes over. He could have every bird come sit on your shoulder and talk to you and tell you things. He can do that. God can do those kind of things. But you know what? That is not the nature of God. You look at Jesus. When he came to the earth, who did he announce it to? He announced it to a group of shepherds. He didn't go to Caesar. He didn't even go to Pilate. He didn't go to any of the government officials. He announced it to a group of shepherds, and he was born humbly. Did you know it took faith 
for Joseph and Mary to believe that this was really God. It really did take faith. It took faith for those shepherds to believe. Jesus could have come to this earth in a 747 or in the space shuttle. I guarantee you God had enough technology to do something like that. He could have done something a thousand times greater than that. God could have just, I mean, blasted everybody and have knocked them to their face. And he could have appeared in some way that people would have fallen on their face and have had to worship God. But you know what? That's not the nature of God. He came in a humble way that it took faith for people to perceive him. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I can guarantee you what I would have done. <laughs> I wouldn't have appeared to Mary Magdalene, a woman who was demon-possessed, who nobody knew, nobody cared about. That wouldn't have been the first person I'd have appeared to. I can guarantee you who I'd have appeared to. I'd have gone straight to Pilate. I'd have shook his bed. <laughs> I'd have woke him up and I said, Hey, Pilate, are your hands clean now? Or I'd have gone to those soldiers that mocked me and says, if you're the Christ, prophesy. I'd have woke them up and I said, hey, guys, would you like me to tell you a thing or two, man? I'd have read their mail. I'd have appeared to Caesar. I'd have done something spectacular. Can you? And yet, you know, in Scripture, there's not one recorded instance that Jesus ever appeared to an unbeliever. There was not one single person ever brought to the Lord after the resurrection of Jesus by an appearance of Jesus. He never appeared to anybody except people who were already believers. Now, if you were trying to make a maximum impact, if you were trying to convert the world, if you wanted everybody to know, why didn't he appear? Why didn't he appear over Jerusalem and have the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees fall down and worship him as God? That's not the nature of God. God is a humble God. God is a God who delights in faith. God doesn't want you to just go around with a goose bump that's always telling you God's present. God doesn't want you to go around with some kind of an audible voice or a burning in your hands that it takes no faith to operate in. God wants you to perceive him by faith. That's the nature and the character of God. And yet we're doing everything we can to get out of faith, to get out of walking in just what the Word says. Oh, I know that the Word says that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, but I mean, I want to feel it. I want to feel something. I want to see some manifestation. Oh, I just, well, you can call that what you want, but a lot of that's just nothing but unbelief. A lot of that, we're trying to perceive him in our own senses, and because of it, we're missing him. I tell you what, it's an insult. And I'm not saying this to be hard on anybody. I'm just, I'm out of time, so I'm just being blunt. But you know what? It's an insult. It's an affront to God when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the word. He's promised it. He's given you his word. And yet we pray things like, Lord, just go with us this week, if it be your will, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Lord, we ask you to come and meet with us tonight. Oh, God, where are you? God, could you just love me? I don't feel the love of God. Who cares how you feel? God said in his word, and you know what? If you would just put your own feelings and your own reasoning down and quit trying to reduce God to a feeling or something physical that you can touch and recognize that this word is the greatest representation of truth that you'll ever get. This is stronger than a goose bump. It's stronger than a lap around the church. It's stronger than an audible voice. It's stronger than anything you could ever get. God said he'd never leave you nor forsake you, that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you bodily. And you're just going to have to perceive it by faith. Even the disciples of Jesus had to perceive it by faith when he was alive and walking with them. They couldn't perceive him in their own understanding. They had to use faith to perceive him. We're looking for something that God, is not God's will. We're trying to walk in some realm to where we just feel, this, have, have this euphoric feeling. 
That's not God's will. I think I mentioned in this group, I forget where I've said what this last week. I've ministered in two or three different places, but I had an experience March the 23rd, 1968, where God overpowered me, and I felt physically the presence of the Lord emotionally for four and a half months. I was caught up into the presence of God, and I guarantee you it radically changed my life. And some people would think, well, man, wonderful. You should never have another problem again. Do you know what? That was just the beginning of my problems. Because after four and a half months, it wore off. Some people think, what did you do to make it wear off? I personally don't believe I did a thing. You know what it was? It's just that God doesn't want you to live on that level. I still don't have a reason why. 28 years later, I still don't understand why God did that. I don't understand what caused it. Somebody said, well, somebody's praying for you. I don't know anybody who was praying for me specifically. I just, I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I just know that, man, God did something awesome. But you know what? When that emotion wore off, I spent 13 months asking God to kill me because I couldn't live without it. I was addicted. How do you go back to being normal after you've been caught up into the presence of God and, man, just know that God is more real than anything else? I spent 13 months asking God to kill me. My sister right here prayed and kept me alive one night praying Philippians chapter 1 when I was over in Vietnam or I'd have been dead. And you know what? I was depressed and discouraged because I had tasted a little bit of what God was like and I wanted to live on that level. I was wanting to live on something where I just was feeling the presence of God and I couldn't seem to get it back. And out of desperation, I started reading the Word 16 hours a day. I didn't have anything else to do in Vietnam, so I just read the Bible 16 hours a day and poured through it. And you know what began to happen? I began to start having joy and peace, not based on an emotion, not based on anything physical, but through the Word. God's Word began to start giving me a joy and a peace and a stability that was even greater than the emotion that I'd had. Plus, this was something that I could control. All I had to do was focus my mind on it and mix faith with the Word of God and the Word of God would release joy and peace and happiness and power on the inside of me. It was something that's like it had a handle on it, whereas before that emotion came and going, I didn't know how to control it. And you know what? I found out that relating to God on the authority of the Word is superior to relating to Him based on some feeling or some emotion. Well, if I had time tonight, I'd contrast with you the 8th chapter of Matthew with the 20th chapter of the book of John. There was a man who got his servant healed by saying, I don't need you to touch him. I don't need you to come. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus marveled and said, I have never seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. He marveled at this man's faith. And then you contrast that with Thomas over in the 20th chapter of the book of John who said, unless I can see the print of the nails, unless I can stick my finger into it, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Jesus appeared to Thomas and he said, Thomas, stick your finger into the print of the nails. And Thomas didn't do it. He just fell down before Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responded to him by saying, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Yea, rather blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said there is a greater anointing, a greater power, a greater blessing on those who don't see and believe the word. The greatest faith he had ever seen was a faith that believed the Word. We aren't wanting the Word. I don't want to know that Jesus is with me based on the Word. I want to feel it. I want a goosebump. I want some excitement. Man, that kind of attitude will lead you into a lot of trouble, and it will keep you depressed and discouraged. 
The Word of God says that He's with you, and that ought to be our focus. And when you get a goosebump, enjoy it. I'm not against feelings, and I'm not against emotions, and I'm not against having a good time. Enjoy it. But you know what? I don't use the Word just to work up a feeling. And then when the feeling comes, throw the Bible down, because, man, that feeling's what I was after anyway. Amen. No, I use the Word because this is where my life is founded on. I am a believer in what God's Word says. And if an emotion comes, praise God, hallelujah, but I just stay focused on the Word. If the emotion comes, I'm not going to put my faith in the emotion. I'm not going to believe that, man, God's really here tonight because I feel Him. Feeling Him here doesn't make me believe He's here any more than when I don't feel a blooming thing. Amen. If you're somebody who says, oh, I know God's going to heal you, I can feel it. You're a person that isn't stayed on the Word of God. You know the greatest miracles that I've ever seen? I've seen people raised from the dead, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and the greatest miracles I've ever seen have been when I felt nothing. Matter of fact, when I feel something, there is a tendency for me to do exactly what I'm preaching against and to say, oh, man, I know it's going to work because, oh, I can just feel the anointing all over me. You know, there's nothing wrong with what Clifton was saying. Their feelings come. Don't ignore them. Don't turn them down, but you judge them by the Word, and God's Word is ultimately what's going to control you. I felt the joy and the peace of the Lord. That's the reason I wanted to continue on tonight, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? It wasn't a feeling that was dominating and controlling me. I discerned since the presence of the Lord, but I believed He was here if I hadn't felt a thing. Amen? You've got to base your life on the Word. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter was trying to validate what he was saying to the people, and he says, hey, I'm going to put this in writing so that after I die, you can have these things written. He says, because we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty when he received from God the Father uh, a voice from the excellent glory, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what he was doing? He was trying to say, hey, guys, what I'm telling you is true. I know it's true. It's not a fable. I saw it. I saw the glory of God on Jesus. I saw him radiate light, and I heard an audible voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The purpose of it was trying to get people to believe. You know, if I'd have gone on the radio and if I'd have blitzed the Dallas-Fort Worth area and said, man, God appeared to me in a vision. God spoke to me and told me three things to tell Dallas-Fort Worth. And during this week in October, I'm going to be here. Come, we're going to share the vision. I was caught up into heaven. And, if, you know, if I'd have advertised that, we'd have had a lot more people at these meetings. It's true. Because people want to come hear something like that. But you come and tell them, I'm going to be sharing God's Word with you and telling you the Word of God. Who cares? We already got the Word. We already heard the Word. I want something flashy. Now, I'm preaching to, to the choir to a degree because you're the ones that are here, amen. So I'm not scolding you, but I'm saying that there would have been more people here had I've advertised it differently. Most people, man, they like the glitz and the glamour, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need all of it, you know. But the truth is, he goes on to say, after talking about all of these things which validated that, hey, what we're saying is from God because we have seen and heard the audible voice of God. Then he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What an awesome state. What in the world could be more sure than seeing an invisible sign and hearing an audible voice from heaven? In verse 20, he says, Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. The Word of God is more authoritative. It carries more power. It is more sure than an audible voice from God. If an audible voice came to you and said, You're healed, and if that would generate more faith in you than the Word of God that says, By stripes you're healed, then you aren't walking in the Word the way that you're supposed to. 
Jesus, when he was on this earth, right before his death, he, he said, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. And an audible voice came from heaven and says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. An audible voice responded to him as he cried out to God. And you know what? He turned around and he said, This voice didn't come for me, but for your sake, so that you could believe. You know what Jesus was saying? He said, I didn't need this. This wasn't for me. I didn't have to have God audible, come in an audible voice and say, hey, it's going to work out. I'm in charge. He believed it. He didn't need to hear it. You know, in this story that we just read, when the disciples all of a sudden had their eyes open through the Word and they knew it was Jesus, the moment they recognized Him, guess what happened? Jesus disappeared. The moment you perceive Him by faith, guess what? He's going to be gone because he would rather relate to you through faith than he had through some visible, physical manifestation. God's best for you is to walk in the Word. And I tell you, the truth is, just like Adam and Eve, they were in the presence of God. They were already like God. They were already blessed with everything. Satan took their attention off of the good and made them look on the bad, and because of it, they actually succumbed to discouragement. They actually became discontent. And that led them into their sin. And the truth is they already had everything and they didn't even know it. The truth is we've already got everything and don't know it. Jesus is with us, walking with us, never leave you nor forsake you. And yet some of us cry out, God, where are you? Well, I say it in love, but you know what? We ought to repent of an attitude like that. God forbid that I ever come around and say, Father, where are you? Jesus, where are you? When he has sworn on an oath that he would never leave me nor forsake me. Boy, if I gave my son for somebody and they died for your sin and I gave you all of these promises and says I'd never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm faithful. And if I proved it by sacrificing my son and gave my son and then you turn around and just violate everything I've said and say, well, I don't feel anything. Where are you? Boy, the spirit of slap would want to come all over me. Man, if I was God, it'd be in big trouble. That just, I, it would really get to me. You know, when I tell people I'm going to do things, it bothers me when they don't believe it. Because I go out of my way to try to be a person of integrity. When I say something, I'm going to do what I say. And, and it blesses me when I see people that take me by faith and trust me. And you know what? God is a million times more that way. I believe it could really get the Lord if he could be God. Amen. The way that we act and the way we doubt him and the way that, man, unless we see something, feel something, hear something, we doubt his presence and we get into negativism and start doubting and all of these kind of things. Brothers and sisters, you can write it off any way you want to. It's not God that's the problem. It's not God who's left us. It's not God who doesn't love us. It's not God who hasn't given us the anointing and everything. We've got everything that it takes to be successful. God has been good, 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 good to us. The problem is we take our attention off of God. We put it on the natural. We're trying to perceive him in physical terms. We're trying to see in our life all of the things and prove to ourselves things in physical terms when the only way you can really know the Lord is through the Word. You're going to have to know Him through the Word. The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God. They are spiritually discerned. God's Word is Spirit and it is life. John 6, 63. And you're going to have to get into the Word. You're going to have to know Him. Some of you are thinking, Brother, I believe that there's something better than just walking in the Word. 
You know, I had a Bible college student come to me when I was preaching along this line one time and said, you know, the Lord gave his wife a dream, and in this dream, it, the, a person landed on Normandy Beach like World War II, VE Day, and they landed on Normandy Beach. It was a minefield, and there were mines, and the Lord gave her the choice. Do you want a map, or do you want somebody whispering in your ear telling you where the mines are? The whispering in your ear was the Spirit. The map was the Word of God. Which one would you choose? And he's saying, well, man, it's better to have somebody there speaking to you and giving you personal, specified instructions than it is to have the map. And he, he used that to say, brother, you're overemphasizing the Word. You're overemphasizing the Word. It's the Spirit. You need to be more dependent upon the Spirit. And, you know, I thought about that just a second, and then the Lord showed me and says, you know what? There's more than one voice out there. How do you know that this voice that's whispering in your ears is the Spirit? Are you willing to walk through a minefield and trust that? So what do you do? Throw away the Spirit? No, the Lord spoke to me. He says, here's the way you do it. You take the map that shows you where every mine is and everything, and you read it to the best of your ability, and then the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear and says, now, here's where you are, and it explains the map to you. Amen? It's a combination of the two. It's not the Word or the Spirit. It's a combination of the two. I'm not talking about just living by, uh, by pages on a book, but the Word of God is alive. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit quickening it to you and making it alive. You know who knew the Lord the best out of every person described in the New Testament? Who would you pick that had the greatest revelation of Jesus out of any person in the New Testament? I'd pick the Apostle Paul. And did you know that he never saw Jesus? He never walked with Jesus? He was not one of the disciples, and yet he knew Jesus more intimately than any of the disciples. He had a greater revelation of who God was, so much so that Peter says, Man, our beloved brother Paul has written of these things, and some of the things he says are hard to be understood, which those who are unlearned and unstable wrestle as they do other scriptures. Peter even recognized that, man, Paul is beyond me in these things, but I recognize his writings as being Scripture, and Peter submitted himself to it. Paul knew Jesus better than Peter, and Peter lived with him. Peter knew him face to face. But see, the difference was he knew him only physically. He knew him only in the physical realm. And Jesus, even though he had a sinless, pure body, Jesus was, was God in his spirit. The spirit part of him was the true Jesus, the one who existed from the beginning. And to really know God, he has to be spiritually discerned. You must worship God in spirit and in truth, and the Word of God is the way you do that. You can come to know God better through the Word of God than a person who's had an experience. I know God infinitely, infinitely better today than I did after having that experience on March the 23rd, 1968. I wouldn't go back to that for anything. Most people would give anything to go to that. I wouldn't go back to that. I praise God for it. It's wonderful. I'm not discredited. I'm not against it. I'm not negative. It was wonderful. God got my attention through it. But I can promise you, most people I know that have had a dramatic encounter with the Lord like that never go on to succeed because they become a junkie to those emotions. They can't live without it. And it literally will destroy a person. I had a woman come to one of my meetings and heard me talk about that experience. I went over the next day to pray for her mother. This was a nice-looking woman. And I went over there, and boy, she looked terrible. Her hair was messed up, had bags under her eyes, didn't have any makeup on. 
I looked at her, I said, Judy, you look like you didn't sleep all night. And she says, I haven't. She says, I came in here, locked myself in this room, and I said, God, if Andrew can have an experience like that, I'm going to have an experience. I'm not leaving this room until I experience you pouring out your love on me like that. And nothing happened. And she grabbed me and she says, you tell me how I can have that experience. She was mad. She was praying for love and she was mad about it. Amen. And you know what I told her? I said, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. She says, what are you saying? I said, that is not the best way to come to know God. I said, I have no idea why things work the way they did in my life, but I can tell you this, it nearly ruined me, and you can know God better through the Word than you can through some experience. I tell you, I know the Lord today much stronger through the Word of God than I ever did through something that He dumped in my life. And I have to walk by faith. I have to perceive it by faith. Amen. This may sound contrary to you, but it's normal Christianity. This is the way God is. It's His nature. He doesn't want to bowl you over with proof. He wants you to walk by faith. There's ample proof. We've already seen ample proof of the power of God. It's one lady I was talking to here tonight. I never have seen her before, and yet I was able to tell her things about her. That's the Holy Ghost. It's the power of God. There's proof for a person who wants to believe. But I guarantee you, God loves faith. God desires for people to walk by faith. And we need to humble ourselves by faith. We need to start perceiving God with us, recognize Christ in us, the hope of glory. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And if that won't get your wood burning, you're wet. Amen. Praise God. That's sufficient. You focus on that. You get into faith. You get into the Word. And I guarantee you, your heart will burn within you as you study the Word. Man, the Word will come alive to you. God Almighty will talk to you through the Word, and I guarantee you it will beat any feeling, any emotion you've ever had to have God Almighty make the Word of God come alive. Have the Spirit whisper in your ear and explain that map to you and tell you exactly where to go. That's a superior way. Amen? <laughs> 